to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension soybean specialist, Dr. Sean Castile, and Extension corn specialist, Dr. Dan Quinn. USDA released their final yield numbers for 2021 on Wednesday. Sean and Dan join host Eric Pfeiffer to give their reaction to record high Indiana yields. They also welcome Purdue Ag economist Dr. Michael Langemeyer to review 2021 and look ahead to the 2022 crop season. Certainly 22 is not going to be as good as as, as 2021, but I don't think it's going to be that different from 2020. And that's good news because certainly 2020 was better than 2014 to 2019. Now on Purdue Crop Chat, your host, who's your Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer. Well, USDA had its big data dump on on Wednesday, a lot of data to comb through, uh, but here on this show, we'll focus in specifically on yield and where it ended up for 2021. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and I've got Dan Quinn here, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist. Hey, Dan. Hey, Eric. And Sean Castile, Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist. Hello, Sean. Howdy, Eric. I trust everyone had a good holiday. Yep, good to go? Yeah, yep. Santa was good to me. That's good. That's good. I, I didn't get to see you guys over the holidays, so I wasn't able to do, uh, deliver my Christmas gifts. Um, but they're right there on the table, Dan. They're right there behind you. Okay, so go ahead and grab that up. Go ahead. I've right. got one for you and one for Sean. That's that's high quality stuff right there. Is this foreshadowing that we're going to have good rainfall for next year? Per- perhaps it is a Hoosier Act today <laughs> rain gauge. Sounds so, good. So you can uh, you know stick that in your yard, and uh, you know I kind of I gave one to Michael here too. Michael Langemeyer is in the room also. We're going to welcome him in in just a few moments here to jump in on the discussion but let's talk about yield here in indiana uh well nationally first uh, let's let's touch on corn first because this is a a big number here a record high 177 bushels per acre nationally up over five bushels per acre from 2020 and here in indiana a big boost here from the december number dan up to 195 bushels per acre for 2021 Uh, obviously a record and uh Man, the farmers called it early. This is one of the best ones they had seen, and, and this really was. Yeah, I think the 195 number really kind of jumped out to me uh, today. It was kind of surprising. We Really, in the last few reports we've had, it's it's kind of bounced around a little bit where we had it, you know, maybe 197 in the fall, and then it went recently December, went down to 189, and now we're pushing back up to 195 bushels per acre. So that is the state record yield average. Um, you know, I again i think it's probably setting the bar too high for me in my first year in this job <laughs> um so how do we capitalize on that but it really attests to the really good corn we had around the state um, we had issues you know in some parts with some drought um, some issues in other parts with some disease but you know seeing these type of numbers it just really shows that really across the board in certain areas of the state was just some of the best yields we've ever had and and talking to different farmers across the state and different areas, you know, you, you kind of see the look on their face and the happiness. And I've talked to certain farmers, especially in the western part of the state, southwestern part of the state, and they just said this was a phenomenal year. It was the best they've ever had, um, and they're very fortunate. So I think that really kind of plays into what the numbers came out to, just how good a corn we had across the state. Sean, let's talk soybeans. Uh, nationally, 51.4 bushels per acre, up nearly a half bushel from 2020. But here in Indiana... Um, you know, I would have, I would have been really interested to see where this crop would have been if you would have been really high on it throughout the season. Um, 
We we affectionately call you Donnie Downer now. Uh, you, you just this this crop didn't look great uh, for for a lot of folks for a lot of the season, but yeah. still we finish at fifty nine and a half bushels per acre. Yeah, no no doubt fifty nine and a half. That is the record. So I mean, uh, just as, along the lines as, as corn. Uh, last year, twenty twenty two years ago, twenty twenty was a record crop. It was at sixty bushels. They did a little adjusting, and that was at fifty nine whenever they finished that twenty twenty crop. And so we are at a record this year, the twenty one crop. Um, so it is phenomenal to consider how how well it did with how poor it looked for nearly you know four or six weeks in the middle of the summer and again i go back to that period that i have limited uh nitrogen supply they were the highlighter green soybeans and that just i think tells a lot with how these crops can adapt and i think it's a lot of the genetics that we've got today i think also we had a, a nice play when we think think about some of the weather in september we didn't get any early freezes and cold temperatures so i think we were able to capitalize on what was in my opinion still a mediocre looking crop in a lot of part of the state but i mean the the combines tell the story right and it comes across the scales and so at 59 and a half that's remarkable it really is and so i guess i'll continue to be downy downer donny downer so then we can continue have good yields <laughs> and you know I, i'm not going to take the the credit for the prices but i mean prices are pretty good too so i mean that sounds like a win to me it's great great christmas and a start to the new year yeah not not bad um, well, until we start talking about input prices for, for this. Well, that's not my, my that's not that's your that's area. Not, okay. That's not, that's not your area. Okay. Um, so, so we've got our reaction to that and, uh, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, we, we might be a little surprised here on soybeans. I don't know how surprised we are on corn that it did this. I mean, we, we've just been looking at a great crop all season long. Yeah. The number's a little out there, but I mean, it's, it's been a good crop. Yeah. It's a, it's a little surprising, but you know, when we look back at the season, I look back in the season, the the corn crop was so great, you know, for the majority of the season. Um, and a lot of some of the issues we saw with maybe getting a little too dry and, you know, with some disease popping in came in later in the season. So maybe it just, you know, again, Sean says the, the combine tells the story. So maybe a lot of those stresses we saw late just didn't impact the corn as much as potentially we thought it was. You know, you look at pollination and the moisture we had and the temperature we had, we just had excellent kernel set, you know, excellent looking ears across the state. And I think that followed through uh, for this year. So, Sean, you mentioned, you know, commodity prices, and maybe we want to touch on uh, some of the economics of this a little bit. So who better to bring in than Michael Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist? And, uh, Michael, first off, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you being here. Obviously, you know, we, we taught, we've talked yield. USDA dumped a lot of data on us today. The WASDs out there as well. There are a lot of things impacting the markets. Uh, is there anything that you want to touch on here real, real quick as it relates to the WASDE report and what was released today? Just, I just want to reiterate a couple of things. The marketing year average price for corn is at 545. They did, it was not changed. Uh, but even with a trend yield, a, a pretty solid yield for the United States, particularly in the Eastern Corn Belt, you know, we have a strong price. And, and, and when you're looking at 2122, you got to remember that 21 crop, uh, the break even price for that 21 crop was in the low fours. And so certainly 21 was a very profitable year for corn as well as soybeans. Uh, switching to the soybean side, they did adjust the 21-22 the marketing year average price from 1210 to 1260. 
Uh, certainly, we've seen a lot of strength in soybean prices recently uh, because of some depressing uh, conditions down in South America, particularly Brazil. Uh, and so they did, uh, if you look at the January report, they did cut world production for soybeans again. And so part of that increase is reflecting the fact that the crop down in South America uh, is not as good as what they thought it was going to be. And, and, and again, given the fact that, uh, uh, that we, we were at above trend yield in the U.S. for soybeans, that, that's a great story uh, that the price is that strong. Again, you could compare that to break-evens for the 21 crop. This was before input prices increased. Uh, you put in the 21 crop in last spring, break-even prices were in the low 10s. And so you compare that to 1260, 21 was a phenomenal year uh, for soybeans as, as well as corn. And uh, just real quick here, Mike, I, I want to let you give a plug. You know, you go through these numbers uh, each time they come out with uh, Jim Mentert uh, there at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And you guys do a, kind of a, a webcast uh, on your website as well, right? Yes, that's going to be Friday at 10. And uh, uh, I, I should be consistent with Jim. I'll, I'll let the audience decide whether I, I, I'm saying the same thing that Jim's going to say on Friday. Very good. Very good. So let's let's look back at 21. You just went through all the prices and, uh, you know, you mentioned that, that, you know, the break-even prices. And, and I, I had a farmer tell me recently that, you know what, it doesn't seem like it right now. But I think we're going to look back at 2021 and say, you know what, that was a really good year. It might be a few years from now once we get through some of these input price uh, issues that we have right now. But, but 2021 overall a good year. Was there anything that surprised you in 2021? Well, 21 was one of those years we just kept increasing the, the potential net returns to land as the, as the year continued because we, you know, we had some price peaks in, in, in April and May, uh, very strong soybean prices, uh, and then they came down quite a bit. But this fall, uh, we, saw, we saw some price strength in both corn and soybeans. And so the last several months, I've actually been increasing my net return estimates for 21 upward. Uh, and, and if you look at 21, this is projections, of course. When you look at 21, it's as good, if not better, than 10, 11, 12, or 13, which were, were really good years uh, for Indiana and the Corn Belt. And so 13 is, is right in there, hanging right in there with those other years. What's particularly remarkable about, about uh, 21 is we had very small government payments. There was no ARC PLC payments. There were, there were a lot of these other payments also that we've had in, in 2019 and 2019 were, uh, were, were not there in 21. And so uh, not only we have a good return, net return in 21 for both corn and soybeans, we did it almost entirely through the market. Now, let's, let's look ahead. And that's, that's the scary part for a lot of farmers. I know we've been talking for uh, what seems like months now about input costs and, and what that's going to mean, uh, especially in the way of fertilizer and herbicides. Uh, what are some of your projections as it stands now of what that's going to do to farm income for 2022 and that break-even price? Yeah, certainly 22 is not going to be as good as, as, as 2021, but I don't think it's going to be that different from 2020. And that's good news because certainly 2020 was better than 2014 to 2019. So I don't think we're going back to, to the relatively low returns we saw uh, from 2014 to 2019. It is a correction from 21, but again, we indicated that 21 was a bit of an outlier, uh, if you will. And, and so 22 uh, is more like 2020. And, and what's particularly surprising about 22 is we saw these surges in input prices. I mean, break-even prices for corn using my budgets are up anywhere from 
20 to 25 percent, uh, depending on what productivity of, of soil uh, you're looking at. So just a large, large increases in break-even prices. Soybeans not quite as much because obviously they don't depend on nitrogen fertilizer, uh, but soybeans are still up uh, 12 percent or so the break-even price. Despite that, uh, you know, particularly in high productivity soil, we're looking at some decent margins. Again, similar to 2020, um, you know, it, it, using my current projections. I think the, the, the point of this, Michael, that I saw, and you and I have, and Dan have had discussions over the last weeks and, and everything, is you know, we've got fertilizer that, on the nitrogen side in particular. I mean, you can look at all of it. It's doubled in price for the most part, right? Um, and the potential what's coming with herbicides, and we've heard sixfold on some, uh, some glyphosate sources, and, and really it's about, um, you know, what, what program are we going to develop? And so I think the next few months are really going to dictate how that, that plays out. But we've got that market price is still up there, right? And so, I mean, that's not, you're paying more for inputs, but you're getting paid more for your product. And so I think that makes a huge difference, right? Yes, it definitely does. And, and uh, you know, we have, we have strong prices right now, obviously, but they're, they're expected to be not quite as strong next fall, but still strong. Uh, particularly given the average since 2007. You look at the average corn price since 2007, it's right around 450. You know, we're looking at even adjusting for basis, a corn price right around 530, uh, you know, for December futures adjusted, adjusted for basis. Soybeans, uh, cash price right around 1260 right now, very strong prices. And on high productivity soil, at least above the break evens. And, uh, and, and, and so, on. And so it, is really, it is really quite surprising that despite these uh, large in, uh, increases in input prices, because of the relatively strong prices, we're looking at decent margins in, in, in 22. But this, this is what I go back to. I mean, I love farming. What I, I didn't get into it because I didn't have the cast iron stomach for the marketing side of it, right? And so uh, that's, that's where I come to you and folks like yourself is, okay, what do our growers, what do our farmers need to be doing in terms of marketing? Good price now, strong uh, projection for the fall. But, I mean, what are some of the plans to adjust if we have some downward trends? Yeah, there's a couple things there. First of all, there's quite a few people still have some of the 21 crop probably a large proportion uh, in some cases of the 21 crop. I, I think they need to, to think about uh, marketing that crop here in the next two to three months. Uh, it, it's quite risky to hang on to the, the, the 21 crop past past about June 1. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll cover that in more detail in, 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 the, in the Friday webinar. Uh, Jim Minard and Nathan Thompson will talk about that in more detail, but that's certainly the case. And so, and so when you talk about marketing, you're talking about marketing the 21 crop. You make sure you make some good decisions there and, and don't hang on too long to that 21 crop. Uh, but, but I think what you were getting at, Sean uh, and Dan, uh, these prices are strong enough that I think producers should consider uh, marketing some of their 22 crop. There is quite a bit of downside risk uh, in this market, like there is every year, uh, you know, uh, uh, depending on what's happening around the world, you know, uh, with these strong corn prices in particular, uh, how much more corn are we going to see in former Soviet Union, for example? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Bra Brazil's having some struggles right now, but uh, but they have two crops during the year, and so right. you know, maybe this crop won't do so well, but the next crop will do do quite well, and so there is some downside risk in the market, like there usually is, maybe perhaps more so, or it's more important this year because of the high input price. Consider, I think producers need to consider marketing some of their 22 crop. And so uh, you're making some decisions both respect the 21 crop uh, and the 22 crop. 
Dan, I got a question on the, the nitrogen side on corn. So obviously we had a lot of discussion over the last few months. So even saw anhydrous go on fields that we hadn't seen in, in years, right? And so uh, where are you looking as the agronomist and where the economist hat for the nitrogen as we move into the spring and early summer? Yeah, I think, you know, at the start we were kind of really concerned with nitrogen fertilizer, you know, looking at, you know, how can maybe farmers adjust their nitrogen fertilizer rates and maybe save some on that. But, you know, you start looking at the reports by Michael and actually, you know, watching some of this crop prices go up. So our nitrogen fertilizer recommendations are dictated both on the crop price and the price of nitrogen fertilizer. And if we're getting reports that actually the returns, you know, the profit margins on these crops is still actually holding pretty, pretty steadily. So, you know, at the beginning we kind of recommended, you know, maybe you can drop your nitrogen fertilizer rate 30, 40 pounds, but as that crop price continues to trend upwards, maybe, you know, looking at if you had $4 corn and 50 cent per pound nitrogen, and now we have maybe $6 corn and a dollar um, per pound nitrogen, actually those nitrogen rates may stay pretty steady um, for next year. I think it's, you know, it's still important to pay attention to the prices and put down the rate of just what you need in those certain fields and being as efficient as possible as you can be with your nitrogen fertilizer application. But hearing reports that, you know, the profit margin for the corn, even with the skyrocket in input prices is pretty promising uh, for farmers. And, and I heard you say it recently that, you know, when we when we're talking about fertilizer, you're you're not fertilizing for maximum yield. It's for yeah. maximum profit. And that's yeah. what you're talking about here. Yeah. Right. Is is yeah. that balance that's in there? Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we try to preach, you know, every year you should always be fertilizing for maximum profit instead of maximum yield. And that's why these recommendations, you know, Bob Nielsen and Jim Camerato have built these nitrogen fertilizer recommendations off of, you know, over 100 field research trials over across many, many years in different areas across the state. And that's why we factor in both the price of nitrogen and the price of grain. So when we have years like we have right now, we can adjust that nitrogen fertilizer rate accordingly so that your profit is still the same. Your yield might not be still the same, you know, but your profit margin is still the same despite having high nitrogen fertilizer prices and, you know, depending on how that, that grain price grows. Yeah, along those lines, what I what I've been, what I've been telling producers and I've been telling audiences is is everything needs to pay for itself. This is true mm -hmm. in every year, but this is a good year to really preach this as an economist. You need to you need to look at the benefits versus the cost of every decision you make. I think it's true in particular with herbicides. Uh, you know, with if, with, the, with a large increase in herbicides, for particularly some of the herbicides, uh, maybe maybe you need to cut down an application. Maybe you need to rethink when you with the timing of an application, uh, and just make sure that the benefits of of, of, of applying uh, that, that that herbicide uh, is going to pay uh, you know pay for pay for itself. And so and so this is one of those years where you definitely need to to for every decision they make, look at the benefits versus the costs. I'd like to follow up so I don't have Bill Johnson get on this. I, I don't want to be cutting herbicides when rates or anything like that, but I want to make sure that we're making good decisions on the herbicide. And so if we've got shortages on, you know, a certain herbicide, so glyphosate, glufosinate, and instead of doing two trips, we only do one, that's fine. Let's bring in that other residual herbicide to kind of maintain our weed control. And in light of you know, that kind of comment, Michael, it's also compare the increased price of a herbicide versus okay that biological that's getting a uh, push on us or you know is there something that has been tested and tried and true okay or not 
and then make the decision, okay, I'd still want to keep our foundation in good fertility, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, if we need to do any adjustments there. Seeds, obviously, you got to have seeds before you can have the, the, the combine go across the field, but we've got to start clean and stay clean. So I think even though herbicide price may be higher, let's, let's get a program together so we can adjust. And I've heard Bill Johnson talk about this, and so have you guys. Maybe the mix of uh, pre versus post uh, post herbicides is going to change this year. Yep. I mean, certainly that's not my expertise, but I think I think this year, uh, just looking at the looking at the programs used the last five years is probably not the route to go. Uh, you know, is there a program out there in you know, different combinations of pre versus post that would be more economical this year? You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat with Sean Castile, Dan Quinn, and your host, Eric Pfeiffer. And based on availability, farmers may not have much choice but to go with something <laughs> than what they're used to that's right i mean they might have to get that old herbicide out it's called iron out i don't know you know dan are you even familiar with that i mean uh, or the word that walking soybeans i've had this conversation for years and i've had my crew look at me just dumb like the deer and headlights what are you talking about so i mean hopefully we don't have to go to that level but certainly what other options are available yeah and i think you know looking towards next year you know something we always preach from you know from our standpoint from the research standpoint just being efficient as possible in these systems so that you can have maximum returns and I think that's just more prevalent uh, for next year you look at nitrogen fertilizer prices but you know another big huge variable cost for both corn and soybeans is seed you know seeding rates and the plant populations we plant you know and starting to look at some of that data and from the corn side and research has been done throughout the years you look at between you know a final plant population of 28,000 to a final plant population of 35,000 there's only about a 0.5% difference in yield um, at all. So if farmers are looking at, you know, ways that maybe you can cut back on some of those prices, you know, so some of your costs, you know, t- taking a hard look at your seeding rates and what those are at, and maybe you can push some of those seeding rates back a little bit and still get the same yield that you've been getting in the past, even if your seeding rate is a little bit lower. So really being efficient as possible and taking a look at these, these inputs and how we apply them. Yeah, I think the the same thing occurs in the soybean world. I think most people have the appreciation of how soybeans can adapt for a wide variety of, of plant populations. And, and so, you know, 100, 120,000 plants has always been my turnkey agronomically. But, I mean, we can go even lower than that and still yield quite well. Uh, a lot of this comes down to, you know, what time of the year that we're talking that, that stand versus, so if it's a May kind of uh, stand versus a June planting, that's a different scenario, a different recommendation with our seeding rates, but uh, certainly we can withstand much lower. And I, I dare say, just to put in a, a general sense, if we have folks that are under over 140,000 seeding rates, they seriously need to be looking at their seeding rates mm-hmm. and to save a lot of money right in that alone. Um, I made this comment before, I'll, I'll make it again, is uh, to be mindful of what seed quality we've got this year, germ scores, but then take the one step further, talk to your dealer to see if there's any uh, cold germ or vigor rating, so then you can at least pick those varieties and those seed supplies to say, this is the one I'm going to plant first or second, and then also make sure it's got the seed treatment that's needed. I think in the soybean world, insecticide seed treatments, I just have not seen play out i just don't see the benefit of that in most cases so that decision of cutting that out is a 10 to 15 dollars of savings on an acre basis alone and i think on the corn side you know too with seeding rates you know one thing we find is that corn 
you know, newer hybrids that we have do respond to higher plant populations. They can tolerate high plant populations. And I think that some of that mindset is I need to keep pushing my plant populations, 38, 39, 40,000 seeds per acre, because I have a, this new hybrid that can tolerate these plant populations. But newer hybrids also tolerate lower populations and they do really well at low populations compared to hybrids in the past. So it's something to be paying attention to and taking a look at your plant populations and maybe you can back some of those off on some of your corn acres. Michael, I want to go back to something you said a few moments ago about uh, 2022 prices here um, for, for our commodities and how, you know, in the fall, they're not projected to be as strong as they are now. You, you mentioned some of the downside risk that there is in the market. What is the reason for it not looking as strong come this fall? Um, well, certainly there's a lot of factors that, that, that could impact pr prices this fall. Uh, you know, what we, we had trend corn yield this year, and we had slightly above a trend, year, trend uh, soybean yield for, for soybeans this year. What if we're above trend? Uh, considerably in the United States this next year. Uh, you know, what if South America has a really big crop uh, later on this year? Uh, you know, for that for that their, their second crop. What if that What if that's really large? And so and so you're looking th like things like that that would be depressing. That could be depressing on on prices. And your big takeaways for farmers from from an, an economic standpoint for 2022. You know, we've talked about the prices and how they're going up. What are your big takeaways that farmers need to know for this upcoming growing season? Well, listening to Deshaun and Dan, I think one of the big takeaways is pay attention to detail this year. This is one of those years that's quite different from what we've seen for quite a while, uh, and particularly related to input use, uh, and the costs are, are certainly higher, and, and so certainly uh, certainly uh, taking a close look at budgets by field, uh, hopefully hopefully at, the, at that level, and, and paying attention to, all, to detail this year. That, 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 that's, that's extremely important. Another message I, I want to make is uh, just because corn corn input costs are up substantially because of nitrogen, uh, if if nitrogen does stay up where it's currently at, don't rule corn out. Uh, both both corn and soybeans are relatively competitive this year, uh, and just because the input cost could be over a thousand dollars per acre, so there's some sticker shock out there for on, certainly on the high productivity soil, uh, the cost is, is is way up there. Don't rule corn out because you know corn price is, is it looks like it's going to be relatively strong uh, next fall, and 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 it's going to hang right in there uh, with soybeans. I, having said that, I don't think we're going to see a lot of continuous corn in the eastern corn belt. Uh, that would be Ohio and in Indiana. I think it's going to be more 50-50. But certainly as you move towards Iowa and Nebraska, always has a lot of continuous corn. But as you move further west towards Iowa, I think we'll see some continuous more continuous corn this year because of the relatively strong corn prices see i like to hear that you know don't rule corn out Sean. yeah but did you also hear you're looking at our backside to you're catching up to the soybean side so i mean know your place uh, is what we're talking about yeah that's certainly the case i mean i as i've as i've said before seven to thirteen corn was king uh, as we were gearing up for that up big that ethanol ethanol uh, production corn profitability was quite high uh, as that as that leveled off as that production leveled off uh, soybeans were actually more profitable particularly in the eastern corn belt from about 14 to 19 uh, you know, 2020 and 2021, it was it was similar. Uh, corn being better than in 21, uh, and but 22, it's 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 about similar profitability. Uh, and and uh, and and as you look further further on than 22, if you want to if you want to stick my neck out a little further, uh, that seems to it seems to be where we're at right now. We seem to be in an e in an equilibrium right now, where it's about 50-50 corn soybean in Indiana. 
Yeah, I think that one important point kind of off of that, and I'll give Sean a little more hard time too, is that there was some concern with nitrogen fertilizer prices that some maybe some folks will actually go to more soybean acres mm -hmm. um, and hearing that maybe we shouldn't rule corn out. So folks that maybe were thinking about switching to soybeans because maybe it'll be more profitable next year, and it might be a little bit, but you know, I think looking for 2022, corn will be right up there. So. Yeah, I mentioned it because for that reason, <laughs> but also there has been years uh, particularly during 14 to 19, where second year soybeans looked really good, even at this time, I don't think that's this year. I, I, I don't think we're looking, even even as you get close to the Ohio border where it's more common, I, I don't think this is the year where you're necessarily going to see a lot of second year soybeans in Indiana. And, and that's and that's fine. I, I just, you know, corn does make a good rotation for soybeans, so <laughs> it does help in that, that regard. I was going to ask because you know we we kind of hear this from year to year about you know acreage and the the battle between corn and soybeans. And when I talk to farmers, they just say, "No, oh, we're just we're going with the same rotation." Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're not we're not talking about that stuff. Do you guys hear about this? Like, are are these conversations? Because for a lot of the farmers I talk to, it's just now we're sticking with the same old, same old. Yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, the vast majority, I mean, they're they're certainly looking at prices, input prices, market prices, but I think at the end of the day, they pretty much stay the course, uh, from what I could tell. I mean, uh, Michael might have some different data on this, but in my conversations have been, you know, let's go back in our corn soybean rotation. I think a big part of that in the crop itself is spreading the risk. I mean, uh, corn certainly has, you know, tar spots that's, uh, you know, reared its ugly head over the last few years, and that's one to consider. And going back to Michael's point about how soybean has been the savior for years, that, that is what you said, Michael, I think. Um, <laughs> He's, he's got it recorded that's what he said <laughs> but but in particular uh it is about profit but you've got to have the production to get that profit and then 14 16 18 20 and 21 those are phenomenal soybean yielding years and so i think that's where we have come up to play the game with corn where corn had been king for a while uh it has been dethroned though <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the flexing of acreage is, does not necessarily occur that much in Indiana, yeah. though it does happen uh, to, to some degree in Indiana. But yes, when I talk to producers, a lot of them are 50-50. I think it's more in, in areas like Iowa, mm -hmm. uh, where the, the, the amount of continuous corn does change over time. Uh, you know, depending on what the corn soybean price, and also Minnesota, uh, and you know, and 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 the Western Corn Belt, essentially. I, I think that I think that's where you do see more flexing of the acreage, in particular, uh, when when corn looks uh, looks like it's going to have a really good uh, a year for in terms of profit. We see more continuous corn. Yeah. Well, uh, Michael, again, thank you for for joining us today here on the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. Really You're appreciate welcome. it, and and I know that uh, you know you guys have a lot of things going on over there in your department at the the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. In addition to the the webcast that you do, the the next one coming up on Friday. I know you and Jim Mentor do a podcast as well after the release of the uh, Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. So. Uh, what's what's the website over there so we can get that out there for folks if you just google center for commercial agriculture you'll, that's the easiest way to find okay. it okay very good yeah a lot of great stuff there uh, i listen to the podcast uh, their host is a lot better than the one for this one so uh, uh well uh, maybe a better resource and we, we should pay you a little bit more than that maybe you'll up your game a little <laughs> i don't know about that it might be up as far as it can go uh sean final thoughts on uh, on today's show I, I think this goes back to uh, we 
wrapped up a great year. Uh, looking forward to the good potential for 22. Uh, in that, uh, you know, we've saved our pennies, and, and let's look at investing them wisely. Um, just because we have the pennies and dollars now with a great yielding year and a market year from 21 doesn't mean we have to spend it all out on extra seed treatments or extra biological. So I think still maintain efficiency in our production so we can produce well and profitable. Dan? Yeah, I think, you know, piggybacking on kind of what Michael said earlier, it's just going to be big paying attention to detail. I think folks should be doing that regardless, but especially next year, you know, prioritizing, you know, what needs to be applied, like Sean said, and inputs. And, and is it really worth trying to push that last bushel out of that corn with, you know, this X type of product or different input applying? And two, taking a look at your seeding rates, you know, where you're at in the past and maybe there's some adjustments there and taking a look at your nitrogen rates and is there different ways or different tactics we can look at to maybe making our nitrogen fertilizer application methods a little more efficient and a little less prone to loss and and trying to find ways we can invest the money that we do have and we're able to make this year to make our operation next year more profitable, more efficient and just paying attention to detail. Well, gentlemen, thank you for uh, for doing today's Purdue Crop Chat podcast. And uh, I know I, I remembered your gifts. You didn't remember mine. That's fine. You can mail them. Uh, not a big deal. I, I expect those soon. Yeah, they were lost in the mail. I had tracking and it said it was delivered to, I think it was Albuquerque or maybe it was Anchorage. So you can go find it there. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go on the hunt. Gentlemen, thank you very much. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extensions, Dr. Sean Castile and Dr. Dan Quinn. Thank you for joining us for Purdue Crop Chat today, moderated by Eric Pfeiffer, and a service of Purdue University Extension and Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm radio network.